Hey, everybody, this is Ryan Dempster, and you're listening to Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines podcast. Rhino, oh my goodness, it's getting painful. It's getting painful to watch this team a lot. How are you feeling about the 2021 edition of the Chicago Cubs? You know, Chad, I've kind of resigned myself to the fact of recognizing that well, maybe I'll have a little more time on my hands this summer of not necessarily watching all Yeah, games. we're going to kind of dig into that. We're going to talk about what's going on with Kyle Hendricks. We're going to talk about, you know, some surprising news about Javi Baez. Uh, um, talk about uh, one of the lone bright spots in Wilson Contreras. And, and also talk about, uh, does this go right to the top? Is this a David Ross problem? That's absolutely true. And we have a great interview this week. Our second Pulitzer second. Prize winner, Chad, joins us in this edition. That's right. Ira Burko, formerly of the New York Times, longtime sports reporter and columnist. He's going to join us. He's got a great book about the Chicago Cubs and Wrigley Field. He's a Chicago native. So we're going to get into all that. So stick around because the Friendly Confines starts right now. Hey, everybody. He's Chad Gordon. I'm Ryan Lever. And, Chad, let's start, as we always do, in the first inning. And the obvious question is, we have seen a very inconsistent baseball team in the Chicago Cubs ball club. So the first question I ask you is, through the uh, first 15 games of the season, is this who the Cubs just are at this point? And is this what we're going to see for the rest of the year? You know, I'm worried it is, Ryan. I mean, this, you know, what's going to change that's going to affect the way their results come through? I mean, you look at what they've done. It's been very feast or famine, which has been the theme of this team for the last couple of seasons. Um, I mentioned it last week. You actually disagree with me a little bit. I thought Javi was probably the most, the biggest disappointment. His approach at the plate certainly hasn't changed. I don't know if he's feeling more pressure of a contract year, but these guys are either able to hammer the ball out of the ballpark or they can't do anything. And if this is who they are, then I, there, there's a really good chance that, that this team may become sellers much well before the all-star break. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think this is what this team is. I think this is a team that on some nights, and, and I feel like we've seen this for the past three or four years, on some nights this team is going to absolutely, you know, blow up and score 13 runs, which they did. And then there's going to be other times where they're just going to look flat. And it's just, it's unfortunate that we see so much inconsistency with this team and nobody can quite put their finger on why they are in the team that we are used to seeing one, one um, sort of suggestion, Chad, is the fact that in 2015 and 2016, nobody really knew who these guys were and didn't know how to pitch to them. And now it's starting to catch up that pitchers and, you know, GMs are starting to figure out how to pitch to Javi Baez, how to pitch to Chris Bryant, how to, you know, get these guys out and maybe the books out on how to, get these guys, you know, to basically sit on the pine. So for me, unfortunately, yes, I, I do think that this is who the Chicago Cubs are. It's, it's going to be a long year. Well, as we move on to the, the second inning, uh, one of the pieces, we, we, we talked a lot about the offensive issues, but 
if this team doesn't have a strong and steady number one in Kyle Hendricks, which it doesn't appear they have at this point, there's going to be some trouble. What the heck is wrong with Kyle Hendricks, Rhino? I mean, you look at, uh, you know, he had the the scratch start, you know, right around the time the Cubs were having the COVID scare. And then he made Cubs history. I think the first Cubs pitcher to give and on the ninth in major league history to go four home runs in the first inning. He does not look like the Kyle Hendricks. We know what's going on with Kyle. Yeah, I, I, you know, another great question, right? I mean, here's a guy who has been the model of consistency and has been completely dominant. He has the third best ERA with over 500 innings pitch, or excuse me, at least 500 innings pitch in Major League Baseball at their home ballpark. He's, you know, who's in this conversation, Chad? It's Clayton Kershaw, Jacob DeGrom, and Kyle Hendricks. We saw how great Hendricks pitched when he was at Wrigley over the course of the last several seasons. And for whatever reason, he has had, you know, three starts now, and he really has not looked good uh, in any of them. I, you know, his second start against the Brewers, he did have a solid start, but he did not look good in the opener against Pittsburgh, and he certainly did not look good in Sunday's game against the Braves. I don't know if he's just not locating his pitches right now. We know that he relies very heavily on his breaking balls, on, you know, pitch location, but right now, the professor uh, certainly needs to figure out a new formula because it is not working for him right now, Chad. Yeah, and I I looked at that opening day start, which I was at, as you know, he's he's a he's a pitcher that really relies a lot on feel, and it was a brutal day, right? But he hasn't really been hitting his spots since that time, so I don't know what. You know, have, have the other team figured it out? Has he lost a little bit of velocity that is allowed for his pitches to hit the right spot? Is he not getting the calls he used to get? Um, it's a concern. And, and when your number one is in that, you know, in that position where he is not, you know, he has to have some sort of resurgence here soon. Otherwise, you know, if the Cubs, you know, one of the things I said going into the season is like, I felt like the pitching, especially if the bullpen turn, you know, can figure it out, the pitching was going to be the bright spot for this team. Um, but with, with Kyle right now, um, and you could talk about others in the pitching staff, uh, it's bad news. It's bad news. Yeah, it, it certainly is. Well, here's one of the few bright spots on this team as we move into the third inning, and that being Wilson Contreras. Uh, obviously, Contreras has uh, really stepped it up and has looked very solid so far. You can easily say he is the best player on this team right now, Chad. Um, what is it about Wilson Contreras that you have seen that has probably put him at the top when you think of best catchers in baseball? He has done such a great job. I mean, he came in um, during, you know, during the, the, the 15, 16, you know, the, those amazing years. He came in and had that opportunity to learn, right, and to be there under Miguel and, and under David Ross and and since that time, you know, he's become a much better um, above average pitch framer, which was necessary because he was he was yanking his glove around and really upsetting a lot of pitchers. Um, he's great in the backstop. He, he frames the pitches the way he needs to. From an offensive standpoint, Ryan, I mean, this is a guy that's playing with a chip on his shoulder. I mean, this is I, you know, I don't want to make the comparisons to Yachty or Molina, but, you know, whenever Yachty's up there, there's always an edge to him. And I think we're just seeing it because we, we've, you know, the, the team has faced the Brewers so many times and he's been hit so many times this year that he just feels like he has something to prove with each at bat. I appreciate his at bats. They're measured. You know, they don't look like the free swinging at bats that, that we've seen from Javi and, and maybe even some others where they're really chasing. Um, but he, he just seems really dialed in. I mean, here's a guy that knows, um, you know, 
his value is being determined as we speak. And, and uh, you know, who's to say that Javi didn't peak a couple years ago and, and, uh, and could have benefited from an extension back then. Um, but Wilson, here's the guy that says, you know, I'm ready to get paid. Let's, let's have this conversation right now because, the, you know, franchise catchers, there's not a ton of them in Major League Baseball. Wilson has a chance to be one of those guys. He absolutely does. And then it begs the question, will the Cubs trade him? Because they got a guy sitting in the minors right now, Chad, and Miguel Amaya, who this franchise is extremely high on. Um, So I just sit here and wonder, is Wilson Contreras basically playing his way out of Chicago? Because he's easily the one that you can probably get the most in return for right now. So while he's having an incredible year and he certainly has been the most consistent player on this baseball team, I just wonder if at the end of the day, he's also going to be packaged because he's a valuable player right now for a team looking for a young up and coming catcher who, you know, is ready to get paid and maybe a team that's willing to say, look, we we're happy to sign you to a, a big contract, whether that's, you know, you know, the obvious choices, right? The Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers, whomever that may be, um, you know, obviously there's other teams in the mix too, but uh, that's the one thing I keep thinking about is you got Amaya sitting there and you just sit there and say, well, is it just a matter of time before Wilson is on his way out? I, if, if this, if this run continues, Ryan, there's not a person in this lineup that's safe. I, I think you're absolutely right. Let's move on to the fourth inning. And this was kind of a surprising story. This came out of Buster only from ESPN. He, he's, uh, he shared that the Cubs offered Javier Baez a contract extension. And we don't know how many years, but it was in the range of about $180 million. And Baez reportedly declined, thinking he could build upon the value and using this year, which obviously is off to a slow start, but this year to build upon and make a lot more money, probably thinks he can get into that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, $300 million club uh, because he's got, you know, he's the only guy, as I've said, he's the only guy Wrigley Field that gets his name chanted when he's up to bat. So what do you think, Ryan? Was that a mistake by Javi Baez or is that just good business? Well, he's betting on himself. And I'm sure, as you said, he doesn't, you know, feel like he's in a position where he's going to lose. Um, and as you said, I obviously, um, you know, Francisco Lindor got $341 million. I don't think Javi's in that same conversation as Lindor. He, he's really not. Um Xander Bogarts, I think, might be the guy that you can compare it to the most from the Boston Red Sox. But, yeah, he might be, in my opinion, regretting this. Because, as I said, he's not in the same conversation as Lindor or Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, And I don't know if Javi doesn't kind of spring back after, you know, what we've seen so far. I don't know if he's going to get $180 on the open market. Yes, he's young. Yes, he's amazing in the field. But he has regressed at the plate, and he has not shown anything so far that would prove me otherwise. So I don't know if he would deserve that 180 at the end of the year or um, if ultimately he's going to get it somewhere else. What about you? I mean, the, the, the shortstop class of free agents coming up in this coming year is, is incredible. And, and he is going to have to do some, some big work over the next few months to stand out in that group so I think um you know, you always want to bet on yourself right you don't you don't want to you know when you see a guy make three plus and 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 you say yes to 180 180 millions is generational life-changing money obviously but 
he has to believe in himself. He has to bet on himself. But, you know, you look at 18, you look at 19. I mean, he was one of the best. And, you know, defensively, he's always been the guy. He's always been the guy that can make the plays, um, you know, especially once he really settled in um, from his, you know, from his first few years. He's very steady out there, and he's a tremendous player. Back in the day, you know, Ozzie Smith wasn't a, a, a guy that hit for average and, and, and hit had a lot of power. Obviously, he, he just defensively shut down that entire other side. But now they want more out of their shortstops. They want power. They want guys that can hit 30 home runs. And Javi was showing that ability. Um, but as he's gotten older, there's a lot of reports, and you can see it in the statistics. His, you know, he's this free swinger, and his bat speed has dramatically gone down. And, and if he can't make up for poor pitch selection by a bat speed that you know, adjusts to where the pitch is, he's just going to look lost and flailing. And I have to tell you, that is what I've seen. That's why I said it last week on the show that he's been my biggest disappointment. And watching this past series, yeah, he, he has some home runs that he he pimps out, and you know, and 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 he pre, you know, he, you know, he, yeah, he he delivers to the crowd. But the other times, he just looks lost, and it is very concerning, especially for his future value. It's going to be interesting to see if he can turn this around because right now he may be losing himself a lot of money. Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, and Corey Seager, just a few yeah, of the shortstops that are going to be on that market that he's going to be competing with. So with that, Chad, let's move on to the fifth inning. And, you know, we talked about it earlier at the top of the show about is this just who the Chicago Cubs are? So the question bears asking, how much does David Ross bear responsibility to how well or badly this team is playing right now? Such a good question. And, and I've seen it in social media. I've seen it in the media just talking about, should we kind of be rethinking how good Joe Madden had been for this team and the ability to put together winners? I mean, they made the playoffs every year, but one, um, and that's what ushered him out the door. And yes, David Ross did win the division last year in the, in the COVID shortened season. But my, here's my big concern with David Ross. And I thought this going in, you know, David Ross is the guy that is going to, you know, if it wasn't COVID, he was going to sell tickets. You know, if it wasn't COVID, he, you know, the marquee pre, you know, pressers were going to be must see TV. It's just so weird. This transition, he was the right guy for the high profileness of this job. My concern is does David Ross have the ability to make the really tough choices and get into the faces of some of these professionals and try to light some fire underneath them? Because Joe Madden had the ability, you know, um, even, you know, they were so lauded after 15, they did, they did. I mean, for them to do what they did in 15 and, you know, they did have the weight of the shoulders of, 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 of baseball. I mean, they were on, they were picked by every organization, every publication rather to win the world series in 16. And Joe Madden was able to just come in and say, guys, just try not to suck. Just do your job. What is David Ross's message? What is he out there sharing? Can he be a disciplinarian? if he doesn't see the right effort from the right players or if he, he can, you know, tell people to stop, you know, you know, have a little bit better pitch selection, do something differently. I don't know, but right now, I mean, if this keeps up, I don't know, is David Ross going to be a great um, developer of young talent? If this team ends up going with the youth movement and, and, and stockpiling the, um, the, the, the minors, I don't know. And, and we're not seeing anything this year. Um, his big claim to fame, winning the division last year in a shortened season and keeping people from getting COVID, you know, having that. But I don't know. I'm not seeing anything right now that makes me feel like this is David Ross's team um, and he's responsible for the wins or losses. I don't see his leadership. I tend to agree with you on this. And as I've always said uh, in anything, both off this podcast and, you know, on this podcast, 
the grass is not always greener on the other side. And all those people that thought, you know, Joe Madden was the problem and that his time had passed and he wasn't pushing the right buttons. I just look at the situation now and say, you know what? As you said, the Cubs had a great situation with Joe Madden. And, you know, for everything Joe Madden did, he was able to coax this team into five legit solid winning seasons. And David Ross, he's obviously a likable guy. He's obviously someone who knows the game of baseball, but is this a team that ultimately needs somebody to push them? And is David Ross that guy? I think a lot of people thought when he got hired, you know, they figured he was just everyone's friend and he was going to be chummy, but he claims, you know, he, no, I can get on people. I can get in their face. And that may be the case, but unfortunately so far, I haven't seen anything from David Ross that would give me any reason to believe that he is the long-term solution to this franchise. And I'm curious, he's obviously going to last this season, but I'm really curious, Chad, if the Cubs blow this up, how much time or how long for that matter, does David Ross want to manage this team or does the organization feel he's the right guy for even a rebuild at this point in time? So I'm curious to see what happens. I want to give David Ross the benefit of the doubt because of everything that he has meant to this organization. But so far, I have to say, the jury's kind of out for what ultimately, what kind of manager I think. All right, let's be. move on to the sixth inning. And, and I, I love this question in the rundown. It's, a, it's, it's one of those just vague, you just go on a riff, whatever you got. Rano, when you think about where this team is and what you've seen here, here we are. I mean, I know we're still in April, so, you know, we shouldn't be thrown in the towel just yet, but this team sure hasn't shown us anything. What would you do? So I don't know if this is more like if you were David, what would you do? If you're the front office, what would you do? But if you had control and you could pull some strings right now, you know, three, four weeks in, what would you do? Well, I think the first thing I would do, Chad, believe it or not, is I, I recalled Nico Horner. And I'm not saying that he is the end-all, be-all and that everything is going to change when you bring him up. But certainly Nico Horner, I think, is somebody that provided a spark last season for this team. And he was really good. And he had a great spring training. And I have no doubt that eventually he will be back with the big league club. And he is going to ultimately start again. Um, but I think that Nico Horner is somebody that maybe can provide a different look. I think maybe you can even, you know, find a spot for him in the leadoff position. I think that, you know, you maybe just want to try, you know, just kind of tricking up the lineup a little bit. I, I mean, clearly these guys are not putting out the results that you want in the positions of the lineup you, you, you know, want them to be in. Uh, I, I, I guess I would maybe try to, you know, swing the, the lineup around to where you have more opportunities for Brian and Rizzo to get on base, to drive home runs. And I know that's easier said than done because it doesn't seem like they're getting guys that are, you know, on base a lot. But I, I, I mean, I don't know if there's a simple answer to this question to tell you the truth, Chad, but I guess those would be the two things that come to mind when I think of what would I do first to kind of try and jumpstart the offense. What about, you, you? know, um, <sighs> I do something drastic. This is what I would do. And I, I don't know who the guy is, but as I said before, it doesn't matter what player, I mean, think about it. You know, it doesn't matter if the Cubs move somebody this year, the Cubs can still go get them next year. If they really want to, if they want to open up the pocketbooks. Right. But this is what I would do. 
I would look at all of the players that you think are really safe right now until the, until the, the trade deadline, and I would see if you can get a package right now for a top-tier player. Basically saying, yep, you know, this isn't working, but you know what, we're going to get some young talent here, and we're going to move in and, and bring in our, our you know, center fielder. We move Ian Happ. We move uh, uh, Chris Bryant. We, we, we bring up a third base. I, I don't know what the solution is, but I would make some – I would make a drastic move right now where you – Basically, let the players know no one's safe right now. I don't know if you want to move right now in May, um, but start making some moves. See what's out there. See what value because, you know, 80% of a season with Anthony Rizzo for a team that needs a first baseman that's, that's got great leadership qualities is, is going to be worth a lot more than half a season. And so will players actually, you know, will, will compensation be better because of that? Or the same thing with Chris or with Javi. Um, or with Wilson, like you said, that's what I would do. The move right now is shake this team up, scare this team a little bit, do something to shake the Cobbs web loose to see if the, the rest of this team can figure out a way to get it dialed in and start looking like the, the team that has the talent to be offensively very good, but sure doesn't look like it has the drive or the heart. It's time for the Golden Cubs Fun Fact of the Week, brought to you by our partners at Golden Rule Entertainment. Did you know that the Chicago Cubs used to hold spring training in Catalina Island in California? From 1921 to 1951, the Cubbies would travel and train for the season, arriving by boat. However, the Wrigleys eventually left the island for the state of Arizona, where they are today. But the island still has a special place in Cubs lore. That's your Golden Cubs Fun Fact of the Week, brought to you by Golden Rule Entertainment, offering big league opportunities while owning a piece of a minor league-style ball club. To find out more information about how you can become an owner, go to www.goldenruleentertainment.com. Time now for the seventh inning stretch here on the Friendly Confines. We have a wonderful guest this week. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter from the New York Times, longtime sports columnist and reporter. Ira Burko is joining us here on the Friendly Confines. He has a book that he wrote back in 2014 on the 100th anniversary of the Cubs in Wrigley Field. We're going to get into all that with him, plus talk about the Cubs and baseball in general. Ira, thank you so much for joining us here on the seventh inning stretch. Welcome to the program. How are you? Well, it's, it's my pleasure, and you come highly uh, recommended. Well, I appreciate that. Hopefully, I can live up to those expectations, Ira. Okay. Uh, let's let's start here. Uh, you grew up in Chicago. You're a city boy at heart. Before you once upon a time uh, started your sports reporting career, right. give me your first memories of going to a Cubs game in the Wrigley Field and seeing it for the first time. If you can paint a picture for me, what that was like for you and how you became a Cubs fan. Well, um, I, uh, I, uh, the first time I went to Wrigley Field, as as I can remember, I went with a couple guys from my the West Side neighborhood, and uh, and the most striking thing, and it's is memorable uh, forever to me, is 
was when I walked up the stairs uh, from the uh, the inner area uh, of, of Wrigley Field, uh, where they were selling the hot dogs and and uh, and the uh, scorecards. And I walked up, and I was struck by the green of the of the ballpark of the field, and uh, it was just one of the most beautiful scenes I think I've ever seen. And uh, and I, of course, I, if you fall in love with Wrigley Field. I think one has to. Um, and uh, and as a sports writer and a sports columnist for over 50 years, and I've been to just about every major league park. Um, and still, the one that stands out is is Wrigley Field. And uh, I remember a handful of years ago, um, uh, I had a uh, a friend uh, who was a doctor uh, for the Yankees, and the Yankees were going to play the Cubs uh, for the first time since 1938 or something, and uh, at Wrigley Field. And so he, uh, uh, his name was Dr. Hershon, Stuart Hershon, and. Uh, and he accompanied uh, the Yankees to Chicago, and uh, and I said to him, uh, "You're really going to be surprised at, at how beautiful Wrigley Field is." And he said, "It's like the oldest ballpark in America. I mean, how beautiful, you know, can it be? How much can I be taken by it?" And uh, so uh, he went there, and uh, somewhere like in the third or fourth inning. Uh, I got a call from him in, to me in New York, and he said, Ira, you underestimated Wrigley Field for me, <laughs> that it was absolutely gorgeous and, uh, and memorable. And, uh, and he said, and I've, I've never been in a sports venue um, that has the uh, charisma uh, that uh, Wrigley Field does and, and, and retains. This must have been before you wrote your book, Ira. Otherwise, he should have read it, and then maybe it would have given him a better impression of what he was walking into. I <laughs> yeah, suppose. no, it was. I mean, if you look back, <laughs> the, the first time the Yankees played at, at Wrigley Field, uh, you know, so it was in the, the 21st century, um, uh, 2002, 2004. I, I, I don't remember, um, or maybe even earlier. But whatever it was, uh, that that was. He was he was taken aback by it, and uh, and everybody who goes to Wrigley Field is um, uh, unless unless you're in the grandstands and you sit behind one of the pillars, then you don't have the same kind of uh, a pleasure of uh, watching the the ball game. You have to strain your neck right, and you have to strain your neck left uh, to see first base or to see left field. You uh, you wrote a wonderful book. It- called Wrigley Field, an oral and narrative history of the home of the Chicago Cubs, one of many books you have written over your career. Uh, let's let's make sure people know that. You wrote this in 2014. What prompted you to uh, write the book and, and decide to uh, create this coffee table book about Wrigley and the Cubs? Yeah. Uh, it, uh, a uh... An agent, uh, my agent, David Black, uh, was talking to the um, uh, an editor uh, at uh, Abrams, which which makes the most gorgeous uh, uh, art books. And uh, and he had said that coming up, you know, uh, uh, Wrigley Field had been uh, uh, featured and like magazines like Architectural Digest. I mean, it goes just beyond just a ballpark. 
uh, and um, and also you know the, the history of it is is uh, also was prominent. Um, and he just happened to mention that uh, I'm from Chicago and um, I've been a lifelong Cub fan. And at the time, I was writing uh, sports of the Times column for the New York Times, and uh, and uh, she said, um, or uh, my agent, the male David, uh, said to this editor, was a woman. Uh, that would make make a very uh, a, a beautiful book of uh, Wrigley Field, on the exactly on the 100th anniversary of uh, of the of the, the Cubs in the ballpark. And uh, and so uh, they came to me and they made me an offer, and it was uh, you know like um, uh, like the tough guys. It was an offer I couldn't refuse. That's right. <laughs> and, That's right. Uh, uh, and so I went about it, and um, uh, and then I, uh, among other things, um, uh, I hired a uh, a young writer from the Chicago Tribune, whose uh, family I was friends with for years, and uh, uh, and his name was Josh Noel. He's a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and uh, and so I, assi- I hired him to do uh, interviews, uh, and and I would write the text. Um, but I also uh, I wanted to get uh, uh, um, Supreme Court Justice um, Supreme Supreme Court Justice uh, John Paul Stevens uh, to write a, an introduction because he's from Chicago and he is a lifelong uh, Cub fan going all the way back to when he was I think 12 years old and his father took him to the uh, 1932 World Series. Uh, and he was uh, in, at the third game of the series when Babe Ruth, you know, allegedly pointed to center field and called his shot. Uh, it's controversial about whether he was actually calling the shot that he's going to hit a home run uh, into the center field bleachers. But um, but he did. Uh, and so uh, but anyway, uh, uh, Justice Stevens uh, wrote the introduction uh, for the book, and I was thrilled with that. And then. Um, uh, and Josh was friendly with uh, Kerry Wood, who, uh, the, the Cubs uh, pitcher, and uh, and he asked him to write the forward. And so we had these two distinguished uh, individuals, uh, uh, American personalities, Kerry Wood and Justice Dom, John Paul Stevens, uh, uh, writing the forward and the uh, introduction. And uh, and I think that that gave a certain gravitas. Uh, to the uh, to the book and uh, and with with great great photographs and it's um, I I have to say uh, uh, objectively speaking and I, I I don't know if you would agree or not but it's a a glorious book. Oh, it it absolutely is, and I also want to make sure people know that you interviewed several people for the book, including President Barack Obama, Joe Montaigne. And a uh, friend of the program and fellow Pulitzer Prize-winning author George Will. Um, uh-huh. I'm curious. Over the course of those interviews, did you learn anything in the time that you did interviews about the team, about the about Wrigley, about the city that dawned on you from interviewing these um, obviously highly accomplished and and legendary people in in some of these folks that you got the chance to talk to in, in making the book. Well, the fact is, uh, I don't think I necessarily learned anything from them, um, <clears throat> other than 
somebody like uh, uh, Justice Stevens, you know, who was at that historic game with Babe Ruth and was following it. Um, there used to be the Stevens Hotel in Chicago, but now the Hilton. And, uh, and, and John Paul Stevens' family owned that hotel. It was a huge hotel. I think it was uh, the, biggest, the largest number of, uh, greatest number of rooms of any hotel in America at one point. And, uh, uh, and so his father uh, was a prominent man in Chicago, and, and he brought his 12-year-old son, uh, John Paul Stevens, to the ball game. Uh, um, but other than that, uh, you know, I, I grew up going to the ballpark, uh, hanging around to get autographs for the, uh, from the players, uh, following them for all these years. Uh, you know, I, off the top of my head, I'm not sure I learned anything more. I, of course, you always learn something. You always learn something. Um, but uh, I do know that in some of the interviews, uh, I, traded, I traded memories uh, with, with some of these people. And um, uh, so that was, that was my uh, initiation into uh, the early part of uh, my uh, Cub fandom. What, what, did you, what was your takeaway when you interviewed the president uh, for, that, for that book? Because uh, President Obama has always stated he's a White Sox fan. Yeah. What was his relationship like with the Cubs and, and Wrigley when you interviewed him for the book? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that was funny because uh, a Chicago friend of mine, a former state senator named Bill Maravitz, uh, was friends with Obama. And in fact, uh, Bill lives on uh, Lakeshore Drive uh, in a, du a duplex. And, uh, uh, and when Obama was starting to run for the presidency, uh, Bill gave a, a big um, a party for him, a fundraiser. And, uh, and, so, uh, and, and Bill was also friends with uh, Reinsdorf, um, the uh, owner of the White Sox, of course. And the White Sox were going to play uh, Washington, uh, and Strasburg then was the uh, outstanding young uh, pitcher uh, for the Washington Nationals. And so uh, Reinsdorf invited uh, Bill and me to come up. Uh, Bill was in New York with me and uh, visiting me. And then we went down to Washington. And um, uh, just before the game, uh, a, uh, a tall... Uh, or, or, or lean black man wearing a, uh, a White Sox cap uh, came in, and um, it was then the President of the United States. This was 2010. And uh, so we, we, we chatted, and, um, and I had known that he had said that he, he was a White Sox fan. And so, uh, and I asked him, uh, well, what are your thoughts on the Cubs? Now, as you know, there's a great rivalry uh, split by Madison, uh, Madison Avenue or Madison Street in Chicago. Uh, and south of Madison, White Sox fans, north of Madison are Cub fans. And there's a, a, a certain hostility. And, yes. uh, and, and, and Obama maintained that hostility as a White Sox fan. And he said, uh, he said, uh, and I asked him about the Cubs, and he said, look, I was on a radio show maybe a year earlier, and 
and someone asked me about the Cubs, and I was not complimentary, and I got a, a lot of feedback on it. And so um, I'd just rather not comment on the Cubs because it gets me into it gets me into too much trouble. And our thanks to Ira Burko, formerly of the New York Times, Pulitzer Prize winner, had some amazing stories to tell. And, of course, his book, be sure to check it out, about Wrigley Field. It is an absolute must-read, and it's a uh, beautiful uh, complimentary piece to any coffee table you may have in your living room, Chad. So uh, be it, sure to check that it out was, as well. And, and can I just say, I mean, how good – how good was your producer on that interview? I mean, that kind of was, that had to been kind of cool to have me do all your grunt work. He, he was, right? I've had on this program, if it makes you feel any better. I don't know if that, <laughs> uh, for whatever that's worth, the best producer I've ever had on this program, hands down. And uh, speaking of producers and uh, people on this show, you can find Chad at Twitter uh, at the Chad Gordon. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan B. Lever. We also have our Friendly Confines Facebook page. Be sure to join us and join the conversation. We always want to hear what you have to say as we start the eighth inning. But before we do, Chad, we also have a great website as well. Yeah, make sure we're so excited about this, and we're going to continue to build it out. And I think you're going to see some original writing um, start to, to, to pop up here and there. But it's a great spot for you to keep up to date on all the interviews we have, where to find the old ones. Um, where to just keep updated when we have new episodes on a weekly basis, but go to theconfines.com. That's theconfines.com. And if you go to the very bottom of that page and sign up for the newsletter, you can set it to say, I, I want one a week or I want whenever there's new content. Um, but we would love to have you there. We're going to watch that space. Uh, the confines is going to get bigger and bigger and we're glad you're a part of it, everybody. So let's, let's move on to the eighth inning. And, uh, and, and Rhino, these are, I always like these ends because we can, we can kind of talk uh, in a, in a bigger way and just kind of talk about some nonsense. This is one of those nonsense questions that you put in there that I love. <laughs> you think about all the players that the Cubs don't have anymore. And you can think about Kyle, you can think about, uh, you know, the big names, you can think about John Lester, you can think about you Darvish. I mean, those are kind of the big three um, that stand out. Um, when you think about if you could bring back a player, if you just had a magic wand, I'm not saying reverse the trade or anything like that, but, you know, with the Cubs woes as it is, you know, Ronald, who would you bring back if you could? I think for me, it would be John Lester, Chad, and I'll tell you why. I, I know that, you know, some people would be surprised thinking that the offense needed to jumpstart and maybe Schwarber's the guy, um, especially after Schwarber hit a game-winning walk-off home run for the Nats uh, recently, but you know, I don't think Schwarber would really be the answer to their offensive woes, but I think Lester, just from the standpoint of he and Jake Arrieta provided such great leadership in the clubhouse. They were such gamers and you could always rely on Lester no matter what. And I know that, you know, his pitching uh, was starting to maybe decline up quite a bit, but he would be such a great number five starter right now. And, you know, right now they have Albert Azale who hasn't, look terrible but at the same time I feel like having Lester in the rotation or you know if you decided to not have Trevor Williams and put Lester in the rotation you could have done that too um I would personally think having someone like John Lester back in the locker room um and in this clubhouse for this team might help a little more and give a little more direction to what is going on into uh, the clubhouse and on the field as well. What about you? 
Ron, I don't know. Is is John Lackey available? I mean, could we could we get him back? Is is he what's he is he in, is he in baseball shape? Uh, we probably aren't going to get him back, but that, I do miss that guy's fire, even though you know um, he, we he, he team um, when they shine. No, it's an easy answer for me. I, I never liked the U Darvish trade. I tried to get into it because there is some young talent there, but we're not going to see those guys for years. Um, and uh, you know, Davies really hasn't shined. But, but again, we're not giving away Davies. We're just who would we like to have back? The reason I say that is is with Kyle Hendricks gone as he has pitched before. And and we're not sure if he's going to be able to put it back together. This team is in need of a number one. And you Darvish is a number one. And you Darvish has shown that, I mean, especially in, in the most recent Padres um, Dodger game. Uh, he looked very good. Um, I'd like you Darvish back if you could. And you know what? Bring back Caratini because I felt like the team kind of gave him away as you as you would um, because it, you kind of get your valet pitcher or valet catcher with your pitcher rather. That would help some things along if you are going to make some moves with Wilson Contreras because, because Victor has played well and, and hit well down the stretch um, and would be a good mentor to a younger guy coming up the, the thing. But that's what I would do if I could, but we can't. Yeah, if only we could turn so back negative. Time, right? Let's 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 uh, let's, 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 let's be more optimistic on this ninth inning. That's such a downer question. I know, I know. Ugh, and then you, like you said, you saw him against the Dodgers yeah. uh, in his last outing. And- one hits the yeah. Dodgers in seven innings. Yeah. All right, so let us move on to the yeah. ninth inning now. So, Chad, um, the game of baseball has certainly changed over the years, and I think it's safe to say, especially as we have seen in a lot of the games the Cubs have played, that the strikeout and home run is probably mo- two of the most prevalent yeah. plays that are happening right now on the field. We see a ton of home runs. We see a ton of strikeouts. Um, I mean, Nolan Ryan would have absolutely dominated in this era, I feel like, with all the people that are striking out. So I'm curious, uh, we've been baseball fans for a long time. Are you happy with the way that this game is being currently played? It's, right it's now? so interesting because of the things that, that we were taught as kids when we played, the things that, you know, my uncles would pull me aside and talk about, you know, generating offense and working the guy over and, you know, hits and runs and stolen bases and, you know, and, 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 you know, just it, it was different back then. And, and I think his analytics has made it evolved. Um, I like some of the ideas that they're bouncing around um, that could adjust some things. I mean, why not lower the mount? You know, they did it in the 60s when um, when pitchers were too dominant. There was a time when the pitching was too dominant. They lowered the mount and they could do it again. That would help level the playing field. I would like to see some adjustment where the uh, the shift wasn't such a big part of baseball. It, it's it's the majority of the time it's happening. And I think that would allow a lot of, of, of players to be able to have those CNI ground balls, you know, going, you know, if, you know, if they're, you know, they'd be able to hit it through the hole more often, whereas it's being cut down by a guy standing out, you know, in the middle of, of right, right field. And so I'd like to see some changes. Um, I know that other people will say, why mess with the game? That's just good strategy. I get it. But eventually you're going to get to the point where you're going to out strategy all the offense. And it truly is just going to be that who can lift the ball um, and hit it as far as, as possible. They've tried to do something with the balls this year. We've heard that is supposed to deaden it. Um, I don't think we've really seen that. I haven't really done a hard study of the first three weeks of baseball to see, you know, are, are the numbers way down? I just know that the only time the Cubs seem to score any offense is with a home run. That's it. And very rarely with players on base. That's not fun baseball. It's very frustrating. The strikeouts are maddeningly 
frustrating. So no, I don't like that. What can we do to adjust that? Let's, let's, I'm not, I'm saying Donald, they've talked about moving the mound back. No, let's, let's lower it a little bit. Let's do something that gives a little bit more of an edge to the pit, uh, the batters where they, they have a little bit more reaction time and, and a little bit more um, ability um, to make contact and generate some offense. So I, those are the two things that I would do. And also I would, I would just make the DH a thing going forward um, because again, the automatic out every nine batters is not good for the sport as well. I completely agree with you. I go back to our interview that we had with Michael Wilbon a couple of months ago when he said that the game of baseball has become an inferior product than it was 30 years ago. I miss um, the complete game. I miss, like you said, small ball. I miss stolen bases. And while the home run is obviously, you know, a exciting and momentous moment for players and can drastically change the game, you know, the thing that I always loved about the home run is it was something that sometimes was unexpected because not everybody was able to hit a home run. And now I feel like everybody hits home runs and everybody is able to hit a home run. And that is how scoring is happening, you know, 80% of the time when you're in these games. So to your point, I, I feel like there's got to be a way to, you know, allow the game to get back to the way that we enjoyed watching it. And that is with, you know, singles and doubles and triples and stolen bases and and the ball stays in the park and yes i don't want to take away the home run by any stretch of the imagination but i also as you said don't want it to be the only way that we're seeing offense in this game or it's the only thing that we see when a player is getting out he just strikes out you know you also appreciate the defensive play and you appreciate you know all the things that come with um, a player's defense and, you know, yeah. making catches in the outfield when it comes to um, creating yeah. outs as well. So um, I, I think you're right. And I hope that Major League Baseball takes steps in trying to rectify what it can do to, to get back to a place where everybody is um, on an even playing field and we're not necessarily just seeing yeah. the long ball as the ultimate way of scoring runs. So with that, that is going to wrap things up on this edition of the Friendly Confines. Once again, our thanks to Ira Burkow, formerly of the New York Times. We appreciate his insight and the great book that he has written about the Chicago Cubs in Wrigley Field. For Chad, I'm Ryan. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next time, everybody. See you at the ballpark. just a game for I've seen other teams and it's never the same when you're born in Chicago you're blessed and you're a field the first time you walk into Wrigley